Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm fuck mustard. <laughs> and with us we have condiments for your dicks. Oh, that'll make sense in like an hour or something. I don't <laughs> Good luck. Know. Have you listening? <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is such an incredible episode, and I am so happy for you that you get to experience it with us. Um, and if it sounds like I'm being all hippy-dippy, it'll make sense once you listen to it. You know what? This episode has everything. Brilliant business ideas. Brilliant. Deep philosophical and theological discussions. Show deep. And dream interpreting dreams. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to the bottom of what it all means. Uh, but before we do, we wanted to say, hey, if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast, or you can uh, listen to some of the other shows that we do. Like uh, I do a show called RTP, uh, Rooster Teeth Podcast, um, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. And Paige. I am on Horror Virgin and Romancing the Pod and also the CEO of our new company, Fuck Mustard. You're welcome. Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, so go ahead and uh, do those things. Hey, if you are in Austin, Texas, I have a show on January 27th. You can go to my Instagram at Mondo Does Stuff to find out more information. It's going to be really fun and you're going to want to go to it. And Paige has some stuff coming up, too. That's true. If you are in the San Francisco Bay Area, January 26th, Web3 is a joke. Crypto roast. Come listen to me tell jokes about crypto. Mm, you're absolutely going to love it. And I think without any further ado, let's hop into the show, baby. Hello. 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 Booty relish. <laughs> Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships and organizations that actively recruit new members all cults might have some or all of these traits and as always these, these are, are our opinions, opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cold Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have Theosophy, but like a more spicy Theosophy. Oh, that's saying something because a lot of people have spiced up Theosophy real bad, Paige. They, it is real bad and this is also spiced in a bad way, but Ooh. it is one of my favorite Theosophy origin stories. Uh, and. Mm. I'm so excited that we get to talk about this part today because like we finished recording part one a couple days ago and I was like, all I want to do is talk to people about this weird origin story, but I can't until we like finish this episode and like put it out there. So I'm I'm excited that I finally at least get to tell you about it. <laughs> I'm fucking stoked. I have a question for you. When you say that uh -huh. this theosophy is spiced um mm -hmm. do you mean like uh like how the like how the nazis spiced it up or do you no. mean or do you mean like a nice light chai like a chai no. tea which is i understand it's tea sure. tea i tea. saw spider-man too i would say i would say 
This is exactly as racist as regular theosophy. Oh. So there's no surprises, right? Like, take as racist as theosophy normally is, this is that racist. Um, Oh. The spicy part for me is because these people are going to claim that it's not theosophy at all, and they found it in such a strange way. But Mm. then on top of that, they're going to take a lot of like theosophy adjacent concepts and be like, what does this need? Did you say more Christianity? Yes. Let's mix it up to create something completely new and bonkers that I will have to explain to you. Unfortunately, I have read a lot. I don't understand all of it. (laughs) You are all welcome to order the Urantia book on Amazon. If you want to be aware, there's some weird racism, but like, it it doesn't make a ton of sense, but it's going to be fun to talk about. And that's enough for me, honestly. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Finding the joy in your own little uh, reason My to talk about theosophy. Corner of the universe. Also, remember, we aren't even going to get to the Celestial Seasonings guy today. <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to talk about uh, the the book that that inspired. <laughs> the guy that maybe wrote the book. That the Celestial Seasonings guy may be red. <laughs> okay. Which, I, like, this is, honestly, it w- I was real heated coming into the last episode because I was like, nobody actually bothered to Google this. And they still didn't. Please stop sending me the videos. Oh, my God. Okay, so, like, I was heated about that. And and sure, but I am getting a weird amount of joy from the fact that everyone's like, no, the tea thing is a cult. And I'm over here like, it's not, but it's so much weirder. Like, why aren't you more interested in how weird it actually is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> that This is what I like to call the cult podcast special, both because uh-huh. it, it does include theosophy, which is- always. Theosophy is a lot like um, a girl that you had a crush on that you went to high school with that shows up every so often and you see them and you're like, oh, so you got that kind of crazy. That's awesome. Oh, wow. That's working out for you, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then you see them in a couple of years and then they're like completely crazy in a different way. And you're like, wow, that's insane. But I still will follow your entire story. That's awesome. Yeah. No, theosophy is is a phase Mm -hmm. Uh, like uh, and well, that's not true. There are people who believe it forever. That's just a long phase for them. That's fine. But I feel like there are some people in in my life and I love them dearly. Every time I talk to them, they're like, I'm doing this new thing where I fold my wishes into origami cranes Mm -hmm. and then I burn them with candles I buy from the witch store and that's how I'm gonna get a special on Netflix and you're like man that's the most Los Angeles thing you could have said but then the next time I see them they're like I'm drinking this tea and I whisper my thoughts into it (laughs) but then when I poop later I thank the poop for nourishing my body and send my wishes into our water system and I'm just like cool and they're like and that's how i'm gonna get a comedy central special um you know like this is like that that's sick man that's crazy i just went to therapy that's weird dude that's cool i'm cool that's awesome for you that's cool that's sick as Um, hell i didn't even know comedy central was still doing specials that's sick dude that's sick 
tell me about them witch store candles. They smell good. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with people doing any kind of weird shit as long as it doesn't hurt anybody or yes, themselves. Same. Honestly, same. Um, and, and I, as long as you aren't putting toxins into our water system with your wish poop. Yeah, that's, as, yeah, mm, yeah. As long yeah. as you're not doing that Batman supervillain type shit that you just said. Yeah, well, I'm fine. It, it just it just reminds me of uh, our friend Hannah's tweet uh about uh about medications seeping into the water system through our poop and she was like why is it always blaming those people and not thank you for solving fish depression hannah <laughs> and it's one of my favorite tweets ever it is very good i do like the <laughs> the fish cannot get hard anymore they are they have no sex and they still make egg yeah shout out hannah michaels <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I want to hear about this fucking book. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go through our sources. They're mostly going to be the same from last time, but we will run through them. So first and foremost, the Burned Over District, the social and intellectual history of enthusiastic religion in Western New York, 1800 to 1850 by Whitney R. Cross. Not as much for this time, more for last time, but whatever. Um, We have the Urantia book, author debatable. We're going to not answer it. We're going to present theories in this episode. We're going to talk about it. Then we have The Secret Doctrine by Helena Blavatsky. And we have The Passing of the Great Race by Madison Grant. Both of those are going to factor into the weird shit that's in the Arantia book and may have been plagiarized within. Then we have... Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's coming in hot. Uh, We have The Insane True Story of Sleepy Time T's Origins in an Extraterrestrial Cult. We are going to talk about the alien components today. It's not so much aliens, it's more angels. Do you think of angels as aliens? Great, good for you. Flush it down the poop with your wish poop. Uh, great. <laughs> they are more pure than us. We have solidified they, that in the Aliens are completely pure. Their poop wouldn't affect our water at all. No. Um, sleepy time tea, cults, conspiracies, and the history lurking in your cup by theinverse.com. Uh, we have news.com.au, which is Australian news. Uh, their article on sleepy time tea secret religion behind celestial tea seasonings. We have the Michael Foundation Incorporated versus the Urantia Foundation versus Harry McCullum the third. What uh, from yes from the Tenth Circuit Court uh, that was March eleventh two thousand three. And we're actually probably not even going to get to that because by the time we get to the end of this episode, we will not. So there's I'll talk about it in a second. Sure. Uh, there's some overlap with court cases and modern day anyway. So we then also have the Urantia Foundation versus uh, Kristen Maharera. That's the Ninth Circuit Court uh, from 1997. We have Urantia.org. We have Urantia colon, the great cult mystery uh, from Prometheus Books by Martin Gardner. And then, of course, we also have God Talk Travels in Spiritual America by Brad Gooch. Uh, then we also have The Origin and Evolution of Religion by Edward Washburn Hopkins, published by Yale University Press in 1923, which is around the time that we are going to be talking about, or at least starting at today. I have a question i would love to answer it when you were talking about the lawsuit of correct the the first lawsuit that you talked about the michael foundation incorporated versus uh-huh. urantia foundation versus harry mcmullen the third so that is not two different court cases that is one combined court case yes okay and like i said we probably won't get to court cases today that is That's probably fine. for next episode I'll give you a little bit of an explanation as to why, what, and how is going on. That's fine. I yeah. just, I didn't know 
I didn't know they did court cases like Hell in a Cell, where they just you can have more than one thing going on at once. Objection! Give him the chair. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like you imagine you go to court and there's the defendant and there's the prosecutor, and then Stone Cold's music comes on, and a third party is entering the court case. That's so- awesome. I might have a little bit of an explanation for this, and we're not going to go too deep into it because it doesn't super affect uh, the overall belief system. Mm -hmm. But essentially, because this book is air quotes, technically anonymous air quotes, uh, there have been a number of plagiarism claims made against it, but also um, it lost its copyright at one point, which meant that other people could essentially include pieces of it. And so there are a number of lawsuits of people being like, either A, you plagiarized me and it's in your book, or B, um, I plagiarized your book, but it's anonymous, so I didn't plagiarize anyone if no one wrote it. Uh, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff. But then there's also this component. I don't know if you remember from the San Germain Foundation when like, they went to court and yeah. the the court has to rule like I can't rule if this is true because I'm not going to judge your religion. Right. And we will get into the Urantia Foundation really resists being a religion mm-hmm. in, in a way. We'll talk about it in, in a bit. But because I can't make a judgment on whether or not that's true, this is a matter of theology and something that you have to decide for yourself. But if I can't say if it's true or not, then that means it's fiction. At which point, if it's fiction, did someone write it? Who is the writer it's attributed to? If there's no writer to attribute to, we can't copyright it. Like it's a whole bunch of kind of semantics, but that's why there's those those two court cases. Okay. Uh, but that's why there's multiple people. Because it's like the person who was plagiarized and then a person trying to plagiarize and yeah. If yeah. you, by the way, if you don't remember our Saint Germain episode, uh, the court case that Paige is referring to is quite possibly my favorite of all time, which is saying I didn't plagiarize these famous authors; I was them in a past life. <laughs> yes, and yes. So it doesn't yes. count as plagiarism. I was given the same revelation by the Ascended <laughs> Masters, and you can't prove that I didn't because if you say that I didn't, then you're judging on my my theological <laughs> beliefs. So great. Love it. Those kind of things only happen with theosophy, really. Yes. Yeah. And I I I love it so much. Okay. All right. All right. I'm on board. I do okay, last time. Did you know that there's chairs and ladders underneath the jury box? All right, that's it. Now I'm done. (laughs) Somebody put thumbtacks on the bench. (laughs) No. He's got a giant fluorescent light bulb tube. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your fucking anyway. your lawyer makes a great point, and the fucking judge slides in and one, two, two three. three. Pile driver from the jury box. Oh no, it's the foreman with a belt. Like yeah, <laughs> it'd be great. I mean, instantly improving Law and Order for sure. I've been watching Law and Order for like three days straight. Oh, uh, that's God. where my mental health is. <laughs> Oh, I feel like I've pitched multiple different times. I just did on an RTP episode. I said that the exit row uh, on a plane, you should have to, like, if I'm bigger than you, I get the seat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, it would be so much fun if you, if that's how they did it. And it's like, hey, I got to get to the airport six hours early. I'm doing the death match for the exit row aisle seat. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm going to go opposite. 
I'm going to say they line everybody up before they get on the plane to board. And then they go through and they choose people and they just like hand them a dagger and they're like, live free, die well, like Scorpion <laughs> King. And those people get the row. Yeah, I uh, all for your I'm, bravery, you get extra leg room. All I'm saying is that if I could win a fucking plagiarism court case because I was bigger than the other person, <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be incredible. Okay, he all right. gets the words because he's willing to fight for them. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready okay. for the episode. Okay, let's go. If you'll remember, if you'll recall, where we left William Sadler and his wife. They were operating a medical practice uh, for which he is technically a trained doctor by old timey standards, but was a self-taught psychiatrist by Mm -hmm. any standard. Mm -hmm. Now, also, he super into eugenics. We covered that super against the spiritualism movement, because, again, it was like you're getting your chaos magic in my racist stuff. You're getting your racist stuff in my chaos magic. That's where we're at. He has already written the book decrying the spiritualist movement and all of that stuff when he's about to engage in some similarly magical thinking, I would say, himself. And that's where we left him. So in the early 1900s, somewhere between 1911 and 1942, although likely 1935, somewhere in that, I mean, or likely ending in 35, William and Lena are approached by a woman. She is anonymous. She's never identified. We don't even know if she actually exists. Um, But according to this woman, her husband had what we would call a sonambular disorder. Uh, He would fall into deep sleeps. He would potentially walk in his sleep, but he would definitely talk in his sleep. And it was very, very difficult to wake him up. His breathing would change. And she was concerned that it was going to impact his health directly now here's the thing those disorders exist Mm -hmm. obviously uh just watch a mike birbiglia special (laughs) it's fine Mm -hmm. people definitely have them people talk in their sleep my sister is a notorious sleep talker and she also will be very very asleep and hard to wake up like that's a thing that we know medically exists at the time they didn't understand those disorders at all not to the degree that we understand them today. I mean, today they'd have you come in and do a sleep study. They'd monitor, you know, your breathing, your vitals, your brain. They couldn't do that at the time. So at the time, this lady's just like, I don't know. Sometimes he seems like he's just asleep, but also walking around and saying things that I can't wake him up. Please, doctors help. Because they are doctors. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I also... uh I like the idea that just back then they didn't know what was going on. So they were like, well, I guess he was touched by the Sandman, you see. And that's just how he is now. I mean, he could do some cocaine about it, but like that <laughs> would just keep him too awake. Um, how about more laudanum? Uh, anyway. <laughs> do you want him to talk nonsense when he's awake too? Then have him on this cocaine. It'll fix it. Let's. You've got a nice dip there. Let's add some lead chips to it. Like, it's, you know, it's it's the early 1900s. I don't know what you want me to do about it. Um, and, and according to various accounts, 
her hus- this lady's husband mm-hmm. uh, was a stockbroker, like a, a businessman. They had a lot of money, uh, and he was considered to be very, very smart and confident in his day-to-day life. Uh, but when he was asleep, it seemed like it w- he was a completely different person, according to his wife and according uh, according to Lena and William, who are the ones telling us about his wife. No one got to meet his wife. No one knows if these people actually exist, but this is according to what William and Lena have said. Also, what a um, fucking insane... Th- yeah, of course he seems like a different person. He's fucking asleep, my guy. He's unconscious. He is, at best, using, what, like 20% of, like, brain function or whatever. If you believe that one Bradley Cooper movie, it's even less than that because we only use 10% ex- unless we take okay. that weird pill. All right. First of all, I won't stand for limitless slander. <laughs> I love <laughs> Limitless. I think it's a great film and a subsequent TV show I haven't watched but will. Oh, yeah, I have not. Yeah. Um, I want to say one thing about Limitless, and it's that he doesn't say your brain uses 10%. A drug dealer who is trying to get him to do the drug says, "Sure." you know how they say your brain only uses 10%? And Bradley Cooper, an already smart writer, goes, uh, I guess... And the guy goes, well, this is like using all 100% of your brain. So it's not like, it's not a science thing. Again, though, I'm defending the science of a thing that's basically like, what if Adderall did what we thought it did? That's the whole movie. Look, in Jurassic Park, when you think about the mosquito, like that, yeah. that's what we're doing. Yes. Yeah. I'm 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 yeah, I'm splitting <laughs> I'm splitting hairs, which is something I could do if I got my hands on that fucking limitless pill. Yeah, yeah. Could you imagine what? How long these episodes would be if I had a hundred percent of my brain? God. we'd be here talking about this for days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Hey, I yeah. take back my idea to defend the movie because I forget that, like, yeah, how dare you say that they said they're only using ten percent? No one actually ever said that. And then the movie goes on to be like, I learned French in two hours, <laughs> so I don't. We think- we. Oui, oui. How upset are you that that's what he spent his time doing? Pretty upset. Um, He basically did what I did, which is that he wrote a book. Immediately, he got one good thing done. And then he went, I'm going to leave my girlfriend and I got to become president. Yeah, that's it. So uh, very strange uh, choices for a person on this drug to pretty immediately just go, yep, I'm done. Anyway, so this guy, sleepwalking, sleep-talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they invite William and Lena, again, according to we- William and Lena's account, to observe this man while he is asleep, essentially to do a sleep study. And according to them, they start to write down the things that he was saying in his sleep. Uh, and in this time, and again, this is only the very beginning, they start writing things down this is about to change very quickly, but they claim that in his conversations in his sleep, he claimed to be inhabited by a visitor and other spiritual beings. Um, but then also they did some things like automatic writing, which are kind of spiritualist, or whatever. This is their initial story. By 1925, the account had changed completely. Um, they still maintain that like the, the wife came to them. The husband has a sleep disorder, but they started to claim something different. Uh, and I'm actually going to read a quote from William S. Sadler 
from his book published in 1929, The Mind at Mischief, Tricks and Deceptions of the Subconscious and How to Cope, How to Cope with Them. Because he is writing psychiatry books despite being self-taught, you know. So he says, quote, and this quote, I mean, if you do any amount of digging into Urantia, this quote comes up over and over again about this particular patient. Quote, the other exception has to do with a rather peculiar case of psychic phenomena, one which I find myself unable to classify. I was brought in contact with it in the summer of 1911, and I have had it under my observation more or less ever since, having been present at probably 250 of the night sessions, many of which have been attended by a stenographer who made voluminous notes. A thorough study of this case has convinced me that it is not one of ordinary trance, which is what they would call it when you were like sleepwalking or talking. Uh, this man is utterly unconscious, wholly oblivious to what takes place, and unless told about it subsequently, never knows that he has been used as a sort of clearinghouse for the coming and going of alleged extraplanetary personalities. Psychoanalysis, hypnotism, extensive comparison fail to show that the written or spoken messages of this individual have origin in his own mind. Much of the material secured through this subject is quite contrary to his habits of thoughts, to the way in which he has been taught, and to his entire philosophy. In fact, of much that we have secured, we have failed to find anything of its nature in its existence. Now, that was a lot. Let me break things down for you. This is when they still have a stenographer and they are claiming that when the guy wakes up, he has no recollection of things that he said to them. Pretty typical of sleep talking. Mm -hmm. And everyone I know that talks in their sleep don't remember it. <laughs> like it's not, that's normal to not remember that. I also do this thing that like uh, I do quite a bit where when I wake up, uh, which I do wake up throughout the night uh, and in the morning, I will have full conversations with people yep. or do text messages or send an email because I'll wake up and go, I got to reply to business. And then I'll send uh, a thing or have communications or do something and then go back to bed and have no memory that that thing yep. ever happened or that I did a thing uh, to the point where sometimes I've been convinced that somebody else send a text message or that somebody's lying to me about a conversation, but they're not. I don't know. I'm just saying that like, I also have had that exact thing happen again, but I think what's yeah, a little different is if I'm understanding you correctly, this person is saying that the person they are when they're doing this is, has a whole different set of ideals than they would when they were awake. Is that what they're saying? That is what they're saying. Now, uh, are you asking if those ideals seem to, I don't know, conveniently match those of William Sadler? Yeah, I mean, they kind of do. But like that, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, because this guy, not super into theosophy, not super into philosophy, not super into eugenics, not super into root race theory. But, you know, who is William Sadler? We talked about it last week. And a lot of the revelations seem to have a lot of that stuff in it. Now... I mentioned that the story changes. I'm just laughing at the idea of fucking William S. Sadler uh, being like talking to a man who is clearly sleepwalking uh -huh. and going like, hey, man, you think white people are the best? And this tired <laughs> asleep man goes, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's a white. White's fine. White's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's white. The moon might be hollow. Uh, it might not be hollow. I mean... 
I have like Lemuria. Oh, that's good. That's good. And William's fucking scribbling it down as fast as possible. Going like, yeah, 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 this is good. Yeah, what do you think yeah, about yeah. the Jews? Uh, Jews are fine? No. No. Jews are, <laughs> Jews are not fine? That's it. And then there he's it is. writing it. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Yeah. So sleep sleepwalking guy, if he even exists. Again, because nobody ever meets this person. Nobody else meets this person. <laughs> I forget about that. Okay. Now, and here's here's the thing. In 1923, uh, William Sadler gathers a group of friends. They aren't all doctors. Some of them are. Not all of them. Some of them are former patients. And some of them are colleagues. Some of them are writers. Some of them are, are a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, they become known as the Forum. Uh, and they are not allowed to be present at the sleep studies. But what William Sadler does allow them to do is basically come up with questions for him to ask during the sleep episodes. Now, again, I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody who sleep talks. Uh, they are highly suggestible, um, especially if you can connect to something they're saying. Like I mentioned, my sister talks in her sleep. Uh, one time, uh, she came and stayed in my apartment uh, in Hollywood. And she was, this was like college or whatever, but she had fallen asleep on the couch. I was trying to get her over into the bed. And she thought, in her mind when she was asleep that she was talking to my mom I sound enough like my mom that I just pretended to be my mom for a few minutes and was able to convince her to get into bed highly suggestible like that's you know they they can be impacted by external stimuli to be pushed one way or another uh, so the idea of asking someone in that state questions and then writing down their answers and being like these might be divinely inspired foolish <laughs> like it's, they're going to be dream inspired. Like who knows what they're thinking. Um, but so that's what this group starts to do is starts to give them lists of questions to then go ask these guys. Now, what would happen? And there are not good explanations for this. Uh, Sadler doesn't have good explanations for this. For me, if I was considering your auntie as a belief system, this is where I would get off the bus. I'd be like, uh, he didn't know. Um, they would receive answers to their questions in fully written philosophical, religious, or air quote, scientific papers that seem to just appear at the man's house. Wait. Sadler, yes. Okay, I'm sorry, continue. Sadler insists he didn't write them, but that he would show up to the house to observe the sleep study, and they would just find these papers around, fully written, as if written by this man via automatic writing in his altered state. Um, they then, in 1925, collected all the papers that they found from these sessions and tried to publish them as the first iteration of the Urantia book. It's at this point, because they do try to publish the Urantia book without an author, because they claim they don't know who wrote these things. So we now have three options for who wrote them. And you might remember from the last episode how I said technically all three are possible. Uh, I, I personally have what I believe, but I need to present all three to you mm -hmm. because they are technically all possible. Uh, the first option, and I think the most plausible one, is that William Sadler wrote slash plagiarized all of these papers himself, uh, and that's how we get the book. 
that's a pretty popular plausible option. I actually ascribe to theory number two. Uh, theory two is that Sadler wrote some, but his group of friends also contributed and wrote papers as well, uh, and that they have all claimed that they don't know who did it, but they all did it. Uh, and there have been analysis of some of the writings included, uh, and they believe that there's possibly up to nine or more contributors as far as writing style. But that also includes the fact that they plagiarized huge sections of the book from other writings. So that, I think, is the most plausible option. But then there is number three. Number three, and this is what William Sadler claims happened, and we technically cannot fully disprove it. I mean, we can say that some things were plagiarized, sure. But William Sadler maintains that this man slept, talked an amazing philosophical narrative completely unconsciously, and this is what happened. Just in his sleep, unbeknownst to him, he told a crazy story. These people wrote it down, and now people read it. And that's what happened. And it's not impossible. <laughs> yeah, okay. I would say it's improbable. I think number two, all of these smart people who are into the same thing wrote a bunch of papers about things they were into and compiled them and used this as like a story to sell it. I think that's the most probable and most likely. But technically, <laughs> a guy could have slept, talked a book. And that is the reason I got hooked into this episode. I was like, I definitely want to write an episode about a guy who maybe slept, talked to religion. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh man. That, uh, okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. You could make the argument that this guy was reading so much stuff that maybe he was able to like quote it verbatim, I guess in his sleep. Yeah, it, like maybe, well, first of all, if the sleeping man and his wife even exist, right? Yes. Like, because I have doubts that they ever existed. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, maybe it's just for the story. But let's say he does exist, and let's say, unbeknownst to Sadler, the dude had read about theosophy or seen a show or whatever, or was just having fucking wild dreams, my dude. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was, like, super high on coca-cola or anything else at the time that had full-blown drugs in it and he was just having wild dreams and talking about it and they were like this shit's amazing write that down like yeah no 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 yeah uh and act <laughs> two what happens to the princess like that that and i feel like that's a hilarious idea i don't think that's what happened but if it did big if true hmm all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fuck it. I like that. That's awesome. I personally am adhering to the idea that a man dreamt a religion, <laughs> a whole into religion existence. into existence. Because that's awesome. Every time I wake up from my dreams and write something down, it's something like I have one note in my notes app that just says "fuck mustard." <laughs> I don't know what was going through my head. It was. I remember that I had a dream that I was on stage and I was telling a joke and it was fucking crushing. And I woke up at like four thirty something in the morning and I wrote down. I was like, I gotta remember this. I gotta put this on the phone. And then when I woke up, my screen was still on the notes app and it just said, fuck mustard. And I don't know what that was about. I have I have questions. Let's see if we can yes. get to the bottom of this, because essentially you've left behind a document of unsure origin and we need to compile it into a joke. Now, 
<laughs> do you, is this fuck mustard? Like I hate mustard. Fuck mustard. Or mm. is this a euphemism for cum? Fuck mustard. Ooh, or fuck mustard. Is this a name for a lotion slash lube option? Fuck mustard. <laughs> that you just squeeze along the top of a dick like mustard. <laughs> Not only can you use it to get it wet, but it's also an incredible binder for your pork rub. <laughs> oh, oh, put my it on God. one side of the bun, and then, <sighs> oh God, I I do not know. I that happens all the time where I have a dream where I think of some like it's always me doing something and I'm absolutely crushing it, yes. and I'm like, this is gonna make a lot of sense when I'm completely awake and my brain's functioning. It happens to me I don't know what, every time I roast battle. You have dreams where you're just fucking crushing? I, I have dreams. Oh, so I have a recurring roast battle nightmare. In fact, I had one not too long ago, which is wild because I don't have. Uh, anyway, um, usually it's a day or two before the battle. And my nightmare is that I show up to the battle and I have no jokes. I have forgotten mm. what day it was. I didn't write anything. And now I'm scrambling to write things in the green room for one reason or another. And I will think that I've like, oh, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. And then wake up to try and remember it so I can tell it in the actual battle. And mm -hmm. it has never made sense. It's no. it's like she walks with shoes too big. And I'm just like, I don't know what this is. I have no I have no memory. Okay, so that's what I'm that that's uh, this is my problem with dreams. All right. That's right. Cult podcast coming after dreams. Fuck now. dreams like mustard. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what my dream was about maybe i was on stage absolutely crushing and i looked into the crowd and right in the front row beautiful bottle of mustard <laughs> just and a guy in a mustard costume <laughs> and he's just staring he's giving me the eyes like i want to i, I want to get back there and get your cap off baby you're like hey you two together and he's just like fuck you tell jokes and you're like fuck you mustard fuck mustard <laughs> Oh, no, I was saying it was going to fuck mustard. Oh, oh yeah, was... no, for sure. <laughs> uh, you know if mustard, you know when if mustard don't shake his dick enough before he comes, it makes a little <laughs> sound with the liquid <laughs> that come out? Okay, that's dumb. <laughs> what I was going to say was the thing that I think is funny is I have had dreams where I can remember having inc incredibly deep conversations where the words make so much sense and I have a big takeaway from having this dream and the dreams are so vivid and then i will have equally vivid dreams where i am doing something or saying something and it is incredibly smart and well crafted and funny and good and the moment that i wake up to write it down i realize it makes no sense yep like fuck mustard yep and now it makes me question whether or not the dreams i have where they are coherent are any are they actually <laughs> coherent or are all dreams bullshit nonsense <laughs> I don't know. I this this episode would say no. Some dreams are a full religion with its own cosmology, but some Fair dreams enough. are fuck mustard. I guess some dreams are fuck mustard. Oh god. Anyway, so after they failed to get it published in 1925, they continue to meet as a group and they add additional parts to the book in 19. 1934 and 1935 and again they're just air quotes discovering these papers and Sadler's always the one bringing them to him to 
them, you know, or whatever. Um, and they continued to meet through 1942. However, keep that in mind. We're going to talk about it in a second because this whole thing starts to kind of fall apart for what I think are very human reasons. And we'll get to that in a bit. Before we do, we got to talk about what each of the parts of the books contains and why. So part one, uh, they've titled it The Central and Super Universes. Uh, now, uh, this book includes a Trinitarian theology, much like Christianity, but um, in their version, the Trinity, the Universal Father, Eternal Son, and Infinite Spirit, the Father and Son have offspring called a Creator Son, and that's where Jesus sits in this uh, and other all other air quotes ascended masters or prophets or things in other religions that's they are all creator sons the offspring of the universal father and eternal son and then the infinite spirit is responsible for another thing that we're going to talk about in just a second okay i it's kind of like the like the bahi faith maybe have you uh, heard of this faith? yeah uh, yeah, maybe a little bit, which I, I also think Baha'i is kind of theosophy-based, too, in a way. I think so, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, but just that idea of, like, I don't know. I guess what, I'm, what I really want to say is I do genuinely like it when a new religion tries to MCU all the other religions yes, into saying, into like, their own. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it's like a multiverse where they all exist coherently and they're all one in the same and it's awesome. Like, I, I don't know, forming the fucking Avengers of like Christ and Buddha and like every other god. I think that's or deity. I think that's fucking I think that's sick, dude. Just kind of like an Avengers universe of. Yeah. You know, or like a Captain well, Planet of like Earth, wind, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's never cool or well written. It's always like fan fiction where it's like, here's my here's my episode where Shadow the Hedgehog meets Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Okay, can we talk about fan fiction for like two seconds? Because sure. like here's the thing. I do love re I have never written any. I love reading other people's. Um but it real creeps me out when people write it about real people. Like for characters, I fully get, but like when you're writing it, I fell down a rabbit hole of I was looking up. There was like a show I really liked and I was like reading some fan fiction about it and they got into it was like, no, not the characters, the actors. And I was like, what? No, mm. what is this? We're, no. <laughs> yeah. Wait, but did they include other people who were the characters? No, 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 no. It, it, okay. it was it was just like. You know, it, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's complicated, but it was basically like filed under the stuff with the show, but then it was just real people and it's just stories about real people fucking each other. And I was like, you know, they could find this on the Internet and they're just yeah. real ass regular people who don't fuck each other. And this is a real weird thing to read. Yeah. Or they're finding it and they're going, that's hot. And they're jerking off to a story about themselves. Hey, and maybe, that's, maybe that's. That's equally possible, no Paige. King. You can't you can't knock anything. Um I Except okay, mustard. <laughs> yeah, fuck that shit, dude. I love mustard. That's the worst part. I genuinely okay, love so, mustard. So it's probably not fuck mustard. It's probably like, man, I wanna fuck mustard. I wanna fuck them. I or really Or a lube brand named fuck mustard. I really like that. 
I had never once considered that it was not that it was a noun that it was fuck right? mustard. It's fuck it's mustard. One, it's one combined <laughs> noun. It's either cum or lube. Fuck mustard. Yeah. <laughs> fuck mustard. Jesus. Lube, Christ. I think, makes more sense to me because it's it's a condiment. It's a sex yeah. condiment. Oh my yeah. god! Should we make condiment? Not flavored, but like condiment themed <laughs> lubes. Yeah, I yeah, we can't make them flavored because I think the idea no of one wants man- a ketchup or mustard flavored lube. What about a fucking? What about a Relish? mayo? No. What about a mayo flavored lube? Oh, no. what about a nice aioli? No, page? but they should come in the squeezy bottles, like the red and yellow squeeze bottles. I think that's sick, and I think we should absolutely do it. And when or, I say <gasps> sick, no. I mean disgusting. Armando, in packets. Packets. Oh, oh. Because it's we like would... one usage. You wouldn't have to buy a whole bottle. It's just a packet, and you tear oh. them, and you keep them in like your packet drawer or your pocket. That way you always have lube. We would well. First of all, it, then you can. Oh my god! Then you can play a game Diablo called Sex fire. Roulette, where you <laughs> where you put a bunch of Taco Bell hot sauce and our lube packets in the same drawer, and see who gets to go to the hospital. Okay, but like ketchup packet styled. Yeah, yeah. No, lube, I get what you're putting down. Right? That's it's that's, brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. It's it's we would we would we would corner the orgy market so fast. <laughs> I. Yeah, how many people do you think would accidentally put it on their Taco Bell or on fries or something? I that thought makes me laugh a lot. I think I genuinely think this is a good idea. Right? I'm not fucking around. Let's I, talk to Shark Tank. Yes, Mark Cuban. I know you're listening. All right, I know you're a huge cult podcast fan. Get us on Shark Tank. I'm not asking you to fund us now. I'm saying give us the opportunity to prove ourselves to you. Thank you, Mark. Right, Thank right, you, right, Shark. right, 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 right. I don't even. <sighs> here's the thing. Do I want to be the one to bring this brilliant idea to the masses, much like William and Lena brought this guy's dream religion to the masses? Yes. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I would just be happy to see it exist in the world. Yeah, it's yeah, something I, we need. I just think it's a great fucking idea. I think it's yeah. incredible, and I think we got to make and it. And we got to call um, it fuck mustard. <laughs> fuck mustard. Do you think that would be hard to market? Fuck mustard. Yeah, especially when everyone's <laughs> like, okay, this is a really great idea, but we're just having one sticking point. Are, can we not Are you say, sure? Are you 100% that you want to call it fuck mustard? Fuck mustard? And we're like, yeah, that's a non nego We're yeah, in suits. We're not going to change the name. That's like, uh, but peek behind the curtain, uh, Horror Virgin, the name is great. It tells you exactly what the show's about or whatever. But advertisers sometimes will be like, what? At the title? And we have had to have now multiple meetings where we're like, we're not going to change it. <laughs> like, yeah. we're never going to change it. It is what it is. That's why, like, we're standing firm on fuck mustard. Yeah, we're not. We will not back down. No, never back down. Let's make sure. Never shirts. give up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. But no, no, all no, the members shirts. Members only jackets. And Tony all of- Alamo jackets. Oh, you know I want a Tony Alamo jacket. So <laughs> bad. And all of the artwork is like, it's not even branded by fuck mustard. It's just all the branding is like, we won't back down. Yeah. (laughs) These colors don't run, but it's just yellow. (laughs) It's just yellow. (laughs) 
all of our merchandise is about how we refuse to change our name to be more accessible. This is real liquid death energy, and I'm fucking here for it. Look, all right, here's the thing. I really think liquid death is a incredible comp. I feel oh, like- right? I feel like we're taking a liquid and putting it in a container it shouldn't normally be in and then calling it something awesome, all right? <laughs> right. Liquid Death and Fuck Mustard are first cousins, okay? And look, they already name lube weird shit. Like, what? who hasn't bought a bottle of gun oil? Or I remember in college one time <laughs> coming home to my dorm and my roommate had a bottle of motion lotion out. Like, mm. what? You think Fuck Mustard's gonna shock people? <laughs> No, I don't think, I, I think if you're in a place to buy lube, you're already staring at a bunch of dicks, all right? right. I, you're staring at $2,000 worth of the bottom half of a girl, all right? Okay. It's, <laughs> it's fine. Okay, but I feel like if we really want to reach our total addressable market, Tam, uh, <laughs> then we need to get these packets into the hands of every late night fast food place where it's like, oh, you're buying loaded tiny tacos from Jack in the Box at two in the morning. Here's some fuck mustard playa. Have a good night. Like that, we need to get the word out. I they're just that. like, this new f mustard from Jack in the Box tastes fucking weird. But it feels real good on my boat. <laughs> real good on my dick. <laughs> I love the idea of like, okay, this is really only funny if you've ever been to an In-N-Out, and I'm so sorry, but when you go to an In-N-Out and you go through the drive-thru, they will ask you a question, which is, are you dining in your car tonight? I feel like we add one extra- Are you fucking extra in your car tonight? Are you fucking in your car tonight? I'm sorry, excuse me? Here, do you want I the said... lap pad? Extra napkins, yeah, sure. Oh my god! Hey, did you listen to that new episode of Cult Podcast? <laughs> yeah, they spent thirty minutes pitching mustard-themed lube. No regrets. Uh, no regrets. Only fuck mustard squirts. Um. <laughs> uh, there's a fifty-fifty chance I call the episode "fuck mustard," and oh, we don't. I, I feel like it needs to be a hundred percent chance, and I think we're gonna have to bleep the U and the C with like an at sample in an ampersand or something so that we'll we don't get it, it <laughs> taken down off fucking spotify and shit if you're listening <sighs> to this if you're listening to <sighs> this just know that we won an argument all right all right it's there <laughs> it's up oh god anyway back to this dream religion <laughs> <laughs> okay but does coming up with a dream religion sounds so fucking ludicrous now that we've come up with an no, actual with good mustard? business plan no. No. Through the I, same exact process, Paige. Uh, through the same exact process. Fuck, you're right. See, this is what I'm saying. Theory number three is fucking possible. Yeah, they, these people could have fuck mustered their way to a whole <laughs> religion. I think you sold me on it. I, I really <laughs> think you sold me on it. Okay, anyway, so they're dealing with the Ascended Masters, but also a trinity. But they have uh, something that I haven't really seen in other theosophy religions before uh, that is a way to address free will, mm -hmm. um, right? Because a lot of theosophy is free will based because you're working to become your best you and leveling up or whatever. But when you pour Christianity on it, that becomes a problem because Christianity has a bit of a free will problem, depending on the Christianity you're into. Uh, 
one version of Christianity is everyone's got free will and that's why you're responsible for the things that you do and God forgives you and that's why it it means a lot that he forgave you. Mm-hmm. Other versions of Christianity are like you were destined to be good or bad and God already knows if you're going to be good or, good or bad. So regardless of what you do, your future is preordained. So like that mixed in with theosophy creates some questionable things that you got to solve if you're trying to create the best fuck mustard narrative. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the way they solve this is... And I think this is the job of the infinite spirit. From what I read, it was kind of difficult to see who does what. They describe this as God, who is that trinity, uh, is technically the father of each individual, which is, I would say, consistent with Christianity from the, like, I knitted you together in your mother's womb sense. Um, But in this version, they say that God leaves a fragment of himself in each person and that fragment is called a thought adjuster and each person is said to receive one of these fragments at the time of their first independent moral decision now they go on to say that this is around the age of five years and ten months which i think is weirdly specific but Mm -hmm. it's basically this idea of as a kid at the point that you understand right and wrong And you can make a decision regarding whether you're going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. That's when this piece of God inside you is activated. Now, the really interesting part of this is that that fragment doesn't control you, but rather you make that decision out of free will, good or bad, whatever you're going to do. And then that fragment of God serves to, and they emphasize this a lot, non-coercively partner with you along the types of decisions it knows you will make. And so if you are inclined to seek God and live a life that way, it will help guide you that way. If that is not your destiny and if that is not your free will internally, it will continue to guide you along the path that you naturally would take. So you're telling me mm-hmm. that if God decided I was always going to be a little stinker, that my what I would perceive to be my subconscious or my my I guess my just conscience in general would tell me to always do the wrong thing, but not coercively, just sort of just being like, you could do the wrong thing. Not quite. Fun. God doesn't ordain it. You ordain it. So God puts the person in there, but mm-hmm. the de- the first decision is yours. So let's say you're like a five-year-old kid and it's like, steal the cookie or don't steal the cookie. No, oh, steal the cookie. Right? Because it's a cookie. Uh, but it's that moment of like, well, you chose wrong. Like you chose mm-hmm. to do the thing that would be air quotes immoral in that moment. So if that's the track that your choices are going to tend to take, it's going to continue to support that track. And if it's not, if if you're like, I don't steal the cookie because my mom told me not to and like I don't want to lie or whatever, it continues to support you along that track. But essentially the first decision is yours. You continue to make the decisions along the way and then it is the voice that's like, you know, you could always just steal that cookie in the background. I, okay. 
why would they make people that are bad? The, they don't. The person cho- no, chooses to be bad or not. I get that. But then I'm asking the question of within determinism, why make people that are bad? Oh, you mean if, about Calvinism of like yeah. predetermined people who are bad? See, that's the part of Calvinism I've never jived with. And that's why it's not the the version of Christianity that I tend to ascribe to. Sure. Yeah. It <laughs> seems like a it seems like a very easy gateway into racism where it's like some people are born good and some people are born not white. Oh. Well, and, and in a weird way, it also I feel like it it unfairly demonizes people who maybe are at a hard time in their life right percent. because yeah. you don't see the full arc of every single person's life um you know so someone's having a hard time and it's just like well they're destined to have a hard time and it's like well no <laughs> like a we can help people can help there are societal things at play uh but also that person may choose differently at any time you know yeah. like they might choose to do something different uh but it also overly it kind of overly emphasizes people who do choose differently. So like, let's say you had a, an, an addiction problem and then you got clean. Well, they would say like, well, you were always destined to be clean. And it's like, no, this person and worked and, and made decisions and sacrifices and it was hard and it was something that they had to do. And that unfairly demonizes the people that don't get clean. It's like, you have to recognize that like, addiction is a disease and drugs are hard and terrible and i know that you vaped in the middle of me saying that (laughs) but it's it holds them to a different standard by something that is intangible right and i feel like you can celebrate people's successes and getting sober and whatever without demonizing people who aren't there yet yeah right yeah i and also with especially with the matter of being sober with a lot of sober people in my both family and friend circles, you know, it's a process. It's not yeah. always, it's a, like an ongoing thing that you're always doing. And it's, you know, anyway, sobriety is very hard and celebrating the wins is great. I think another thing that I think is interesting, switching it up just a little bit, is that I got really interested in determinism when, uh, after we, when we were doing the, um, oh my God, the Mandela effect episode. And I talked with Bobby about quantum mechanics for so long. And then we got into talking about determinism where he was like, that will really fuck your head up. And the way that the conversation we had was very like philosophical, I guess in a nature where like you would make the, you're basically like your brain's a computer. Every experience that it has builds lines of code. Your code reacts to certain things in certain ways. So then eventually choices aren't necessarily a free will. It's how your code would process that problem and output a decision based off of, you know, all of the things that are behind you. And that can be anything from like this sentence that I'm saying is generated because the fucking code in my brain is telling me these are the words that I would have, that I would say in this situation to like my favorite color is green because it was always going to be green. And I liked that idea of exploring it as like a philosophical point, but I never until this moment realized that that like when you bring morality to it, it just means that sometimes they made people that were bad. And that seems like a, I don't know why you would do that, but I don't know. I'm not a smart person. So from a morality standpoint, I have trouble with the idea that some people are just destined to be 
bad. I I, yeah. I I I think a lot of it that takes the responsibility out of it. Because if somebody's destined to be bad, how can you blame them? They were destined, right? But if somebody mm-hmm. did something, I was like, you chose to do that. Now, do I also think that there are elements of someone's you know, biological chemistry or or brain chemistry or things that might predispose them to certain acts. Yes. Um, but I think that's also a lot of nature and nurture. That's more in line with the code being written and forming you along the way. And that's with everybody. Everybody lives different lives. Everybody has different experiences. All of those things go into making you the you that you are at any given moment, right? Mm-hmm. You still choose, right? Like, you still have a a morality choice if you're going to do something wrong or not in those moments. Now, I mean, obviously other things at play, altered states, et cetera, sure. But that's why I think you can't just be like, no, someone was bad and they were always going to be bad and they're destined to be bad and everything's going to be bad, you know? Like, and and maybe that makes me a little too optimistic about people, which is unusual for me because I worked in retail, but... (laughs) But for me, I think it's like, no, choice is a part of it. It has to be or else it wouldn't or else morality wouldn't matter. Right. Yeah. Who would care if you were moral, if you were just destined to be a thing? But that's also why when people are like, no one has morality without the Bible. And I'm like, no, they do. <laughs> like people do still choose good or bad, regardless of this book. Not that I don't, you know, like think the book is important to a lot of people. Sure. It's, it, you know, but people have the capacity to choose good and evil and an innate sense of what good and evil is without that knowledge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, I mean, man, we fell down a rabbit hole on fuck mustard. Now we're (laughs) like determinism and free will. It's a wild episode today. Yeah. It's a weird one. It's almost like I got high immediately before we started recording. (laughs) Hey, you know what? High on that fuck mustard. (laughs) High on that smoke ketchup. Oh my God. Oh, okay. Resin for vapes that comes in a ketchup packet. Now I'm just stuck on the packets. Okay, anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, so part two. So we that was part one of this book. Part two, the local universe uh, describes our current universe as Nebadon. Now, their cosmology has multiple universes, sub-universes, super-universes, and at the center of all of it is a place called the Isle of Paradise, which is a stationary island or planet considered to be the dwelling place of God, surrounded by Havona, which is the an eternal universe that contains a billion perfect worlds uh, around which rotates seven incomplete and evolutionarily, I guess, in progress, super universes. So like we live in a super universe and we're not perfect yet. We haven't attained it. And there's seven other super universes like us for that. Now, part three, the history of Urantia. Now, Urantia is the book's name for Earth. And so this is Earth's cosmology within this belief system. And a lot of it is taken from the Old Testament. However, this version of a a Christian-based origin and creation story is based on evolution. Okay. Right? Okay. So um, it, it basically argues that 4.5 billion years ago, there were gradual changes in conditions uh, like our, our 
you know, weather or whatever uh, that allowed life to develop in long ages of organic evolution that started with microscopic marine life and led to plant and animal life in the oceans. Then it climbed up on land and the emergence of humans is presented as having occurred about a million years ago from a branch of primates originating from a lemur ancestor. And they have, uh, within this story, creation mythology within this book, the first two are said to have been male and female twins called Andon and Fanta, uh, born 993,419 years prior to 1934. So it's a weird mixture of creationism because you've got Adam and Eve air quotes basically but then with evolution in and I think part of that is because Sadler although religious because remember he was a Seventh-day Adventist he also was obsessed with science right he becomes a doctor he was reading philosophy at the time he was reading Freud he was reading all these other things I think he was also reading Darwin because this is kind of similar to that very basic origin of the species big bang evolutionary thought so he he incorporates that as the creation myth in his version now part four the life and teachings of jesus is basically a a summary over the over 775 pages and this is the part that everyone says is the most readable part of the book uh, Mm. the most accessible and easy to understand because it's basically a biography of Jesus based on all the information from the Bible, but then also with new stories about his childhood, teenage years, family life, and his ministry, and covers basically everything the Bible does, but in a more like a fiction book narrative way, like a modern fiction way. So it's like accessible and easy to read. Now, Within that, Jesus' crucifixion is not considered an atonement for the sins of humanity, but rather it's supposed to be a teaching moment for the outcome of the fears of the religious leaders of the day who regarded his teachings as a threat to their positions of authority. Now, historically, within the Roman Empire, that is a component. And I would say that the Bible also includes that as a component, but this makes that the focus of it. Um, Also, Jesus has a different origin story. He's considered to be the human incarnation of Michael of Nebadon. Remember, Nebadon is the super universe. Um, One of more than 700,000 air quotes, paradise sons or creator sons. Uh, He's not considered the second person of the Trinity as we covered. He is just one of the other prophets like a Muhammad or a Joseph Smith or anything. Because again, this is an Avengers universe type of religion. Mm -hmm. Um, They take out the virgin birth. Jesus was born on earth through natural means of conception, but just chosen by the Trinitarian God and the thought adjuster fragment to be a creator son. Um, And they take out most of his miracles. Uh, So the things like walking on water or turning water to wine, those things go. They are not included in the biography, which honestly, to be real, without the miracles or the virgin birth, why bother? Like, why is he interested? Yeah, right? I was OK. I'm glad that you said something because I didn't want to, like, sound disrespectful. No, no. I, like, because if he doesn't have the powers of God and if he doesn't do those things, 
then he's just a guy, which I know is what a lot of people believe. And that's fine. Like, I get that I believe things that are different from other people. This is not me shitting on that. But I'm like, from a person who you're writing a book about Jesus, right? Yeah. Why write the book if he's not doing the cool shit? That'd be like if Jurassic Park was just about them thinking about whether or not they should drill into mosquitoes and then they never successfully do it. And it's the John Hammond biography. Sorry, we just did <laughs> Jurassic Park on Horror Virgin. That's why it's my like. It's like writing Star Wars if Luke never leaves Tatooine. Like, why do you do? Why do you read about that person? It's. <laughs> They need some hero of a thousand faces type shit in there. Yeah, get Joseph Campbell's fucking ass in there, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do a do a fucking inception where he's part of the dream, writing the story with you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need some Dan Harmon story circles up in this bitch, and we need. <laughs> uh, this looks like about four through seven is missing if we don't have the miracles and shit. Yeah. All right. I see you got you and want, but you need the rest, baby. Right. You need right. Go search, find, take, (laughs) change, return. Change, return. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Going from life into death and then back to the beginning where your circle starts all over again. Yeah. Yeah, And the the left and the right side are the chaos and the order. Yeah, I fucking. And die hard when he talks to his (laughs) wife. Yeah. This is only funny if you write stuff. And if you don't, you're like, why are they fucking. Are they having strokes? Can I just say, we did Five Nights at Freddy's on Horror Virgin, and we had Jason Pargin on, who oh. wrote John Dies at the End and has written a bunch of other books. And he nerded out for three and a half hours on the screenwriting problems of Five Nights at Freddy's. And I was like, I felt justified for once where I was like exactly because if you look at the structure of the whatever and then I was like oh a lot of this is gonna get cut from this episode because <laughs> no it? one cares a, a fair amount of it got cut I mean a bunch of it stayed in but that's fair again uh as you can tell from this episode where none of this is getting cut out yeah no um we people who write care the most about writing and all they want to talk about is writing and again there's like a structure to writing stuff and you don't always have to follow it sure yeah. but you should at least know why the rules are there so that your story feels fulfilling which five nights at Freddy's and this fan fiction where Jesus was just a guy a guy with good ideas but i'm like there have been a lot of guys with good ideas and they're like yeah they're all creator sons and i was like why do we care though like if none of them are magical it's not that important because it's the other thing is it's like it's not just luke skywalker if he never left town it's luke skywalker if there are no jedis there are no no jedis (laughs) he doesn't have a light sword he's just like i gotta get to the moisture converters like that's just his whole thing (laughs) it's 775 pages about a guy who farms dirt all right 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 there's two sons on this planet wow all right (laughs) oh my god yeah i uh i don't want to send us on another tangent but i do this thing a lot where i get really high and um i have like four or five hyper fixations that i will sometimes cycle through when i get high and one of them is doing research on jesus the guy and trying to just like 
Yeah, because it's just it, it's a, it's how a, good of a carpenter was he? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I think it's interesting to like you know go into detail about all this stuff. One of the things I like about this show is when we did the series on um, revelations and like we dove into. I almost said we dove into hell <laughs> when we when we talked about hell. Uh, you bringing up that most of the imagery that we have from hell and Christian hell comes from like Dante's Inferno, which came yeah. way after, you know, all this stuff from like the Bible was taking place. So I don't know. I get interested in like, what is the source? Because yeah, please, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like it's most people's opinion that Jesus was a person who existed. The rest up for de- up for debate, people talk about it whatever, but like most people seem to acknowledge that there was a Jesus or something and I want to learn I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting to learn about the guy. But the more you learn about just a normal person, the le- like, I don't know. I think it's the cool part is when he did the walking on the water. I think it was. Right. I think he was sick at parties when he was just like, yeah, dude, hand me your water bottle real quick. You're going to love this, dude. It's awesome. Or just giving people free fish and stuff or like healing blind people on the street. Like that's yeah. the cool stuff. Like that's the stuff that makes it more interesting than just like this carpenter had some fun ideas. Yeah. And, Do you know yeah. who Jesus is if he's not walking on water and my just husband doing Jake? Well, I was going to say just doing all the big cool shit, like throwing out fishes and stuff. He's Mr. Beast. All right. Jesus without superpowers is just Mr. Beast or Joe Rogan. Oh, God, I don't want either of those to be true. Although, if you do look at the death mask for Jesus Christ, it does line up with Joe Rogan's face entirely. But also, some of these carvings suggest that aliens may have influence. We can't. We- <laughs> <laughs> Paige, you look me in the eye and tell me Joe Rogan hasn't sat at a dinner with 12 of his friends and went, one of you will betray me tonight. <laughs> oh, 100%. And I can tell you which one it was. Bleep this, Elliot. It was <laughs> okay bleep this also (laughs) yeah two very likely options oh my god all right all right okay so over 770 pages of a biography about a man who didn't do any of the cool shit but did have all the ideas right that's part that's part four of this book that's part four that's basically the final part of the book now At this point, in the late 1930s, papers stopped appearing in the man's house. Uh, and Sadler, at, at that point, took a leadership role within the group because at first it was kind of egalitarian, then he takes on leadership roles. And people in the group have kind of cited that he seemed to be stressed and a little power-hungry and whatever. And they're like, we don't know why the paper stopped appearing in the house. I think there's a very human and reasonable and rational explanation because uh, William Sadler's wife, Lena, and they've been together this whole time and she has been a participant. She's been actively working with him on this. She gets sick and then dies in 1939 around the time that the papers stop appearing, which is also why I think Sadler has to have some hand in the writings because I think she got sick and he had to take care of her. 
And that's why the writing stopped appearing. Like, to me, that makes all the sense in the world. That's one of the easiest through lines. Like, that makes sense that that would happen. Um, And that's when the group kind of starts to fall apart. But by then, um, in 1955, the few people who were still alive at that point, because remember, they're all very, very old. Um, Most of the original members are deceased, including his wife. Uh, The Urantia Foundation is formed basically based on the writings in the book, and they raise funds to publish the book anonymously. And it's been a source of debate ever since. In fact, in 1992, uh, the a reader of the Urantia book, a person named Matthew Block, self-published a paper uh, that showed that the book used material and plagiarized from 15 other books. He's not he's not the last person to do this because two of our sources, Gardner and Gooch, have also. <laughs> it sounds like they're buddy cops, Gardner and Gooch. Uh, Gardner and Gooch both agree that parts of it are plagiarized and Sadler definitely writ some. So uh, Gooch believes it's Sadler. Most of it is Sadler. Gardner believes more in the group theory and that Sadler served as kind of an editor in chief. I think both of those are equally as plausible and possible. And then, of course, Matthew Block, his paper um, showed that a lot of it's plagiarized too. So the kind of editor-in-chief theory makes a lot of sense. Now, Sadler maintained that the book was anonymous and he just found the papers or wrote down what the guy was saying in his sleep until his death in 1969. Whoa. First of all, nice. Second of all, whoa. Nice. Uh, Coincidentally, the same year Celestial Seasonings is founded. (gasps) We'll get to that next week. But... In 1969, he was 93 years old. Ah, he dies damn. of just straight up old age. Yeah. And his obituary at the time, because there's an obituary in the Chicago Tribune, because that's where he was. Li- he lived for most of his life in Chicago once they moved back. Um, it mentioned his many medical achievements because he practiced into old age. Like he practiced into basically the modern day as a doctor, or at least modern enough, like 1969. Um so his obituary mentions a ton of his medical achievements and nothing about Urantia. It like wiped from the history books, basically. But here's the thing. The same year he died, not only does the guy from Celestial Seasonings pick up the book, but a bunch of other people do. And we're going to go through them. Uh, most notably, Jimi Hendrix. What? <laughs> yes. Jimi Hendrix used to carry the book of Urantia with him along with a couple other books on spirituality until he passed away. Um, uh, He and told all of his friends about it. Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead also was a devotee, like a devoted reader. It wasn't the only thing he believed, but he carried the Urantia Urantia book around with him. And he claims that it's one of his favorite esoteric works. He loops it in with uh, theosophy and a bunch of other things. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, American blues guitarist, also used to bring the book of Urantia on tour and would read people passages from it. So the idea that the Celestial Seasonings guy also picks it up while the book is having a pop culture resurgence at the time is not strange. And it's also 1969. It's the summer of love. It is the 60s. It is full on hippie shit. Theosophy is back in a big old way. Yeah. It's not weird that someone 
in those circles, and we know he was because he was backpacking it into health foods, somebody in those circles would have come across this book a ton of times. So it's not weird for him to have picked it up and read it. Uh, but that's where we'll leave you for this week, is that in 1969, this guy dies, and Mo Siegel of Celestial Seasonings Teas picks that book up. And that's where we will pick up next week. All right. I have a couple of closing thoughts. First of, of all, with the, with the exception of Stevie Ray Vaughan, I feel like it's funny that all of those people you mentioned are super into LSD. Uh-huh. When this yeah. starts to become really interesting. Stevie, I think drug of choice cocaine? Question I think mark? so, yeah. Sounds about right. Uh, I think that's very funny. Secondly, um, I like that this guy got to get into medical practice when you needed two years to be a doctor and then was still practicing into the 60s, which is like earlier you and I were talking about a software and I was like, yeah, I started paying for it years ago. So I got locked into a low price and now it's like three times. Other doctors practicing in the same office as him probably had to go to school for fucking years. And he just yeah. is still practicing off of his fucking, like, I don't know, chop off a hand and do cocaine. It's probably going to solve itself. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing, too. Like, just as you and I were talking about Final Draft, because it's a thing that's known to us in our industry. Mm -hmm. There are so many people in the 60s, 70s, in this time that are coming in contact with Jimi Hendrix and Jerry Garcia or just LSD in general, but are also seeking out esoteric works of literature, yeah. which this is. Even if you believe it's fiction, it's fiction based on an esoteric line of thinking. And so your David Bowie's, your uh, Led Zeppelin's, your, like your Jimmy Page's, your anyone who's going to be into chaos, magic, theosophy, any of it, is probably coming across this book. So like... You know, I'm I'm honestly, frankly surprised we didn't come across this book sooner, given yeah. the amount of this type of literature we have been exposed to. Well, it's also I mean, it's there's so many different groups that we've covered, most notably at the top of my mind around ish this time, I believe is uh heaven's gate which is yep. also like you know that's the the exact same thing they got into theosophy and then they wanted to read deeper and they go into all this stuff and also i want to mention that like with in terms to like Jimi hendrix and bowie and like all these people obviously these people could also be interested in this stuff and not taking it a hundred percent at face value like yes uh, a great example i've talked about it many times I personally, Armando Torres, I love Ram Das. I think the stuff that Ram Das says a lot of the times is helpful. And then you'll be listening to something and Ram Das will say something about how you should live your life. And then you go, oh no, that's bad. That's really bad. That's a stupid thing to say. And no, I will not be doing that. So, you know, little bits and pieces of information can be super interesting to people. But also the other thing is, is that once you get really into it, you start shopping around going like, well, I like these ideas, but I don't like this thing. And then you keep going and you keep going. And then eventually you'll come across a book that it feels like it was tailor made to your weird beliefs. And that's why it's so easy to get like super into one thing once you find it and it feels like you finally have been understood especially in a time when people are searching for themselves possibly more than ever before i also 
one, if you're a cre- if you're a creative, mm-hmm. right? If you write, paint, act, whatever, there is also an element of that that is you trying to look within yourself for the things that will make your art, right? And so I think those people are prompted to look more, no matter what. Two, another example of this, uh, from way, way back, episode like 22 or something, um, Jack Parsons, right? Mm-hmm. So Alistair Crowley, who wrote a lot of the things that Jack Parsons was basing his belief system on, even Alistair Crowley was like, I wasn't serious about that. Like, <laughs> this was like a thought experiment. Like, the moon child's not real. Like, the, all of these things, y- y- people are reading them and absorbing them. They're maybe not necessarily being like, I 100% believe this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know. God. Yeah. That's, I don't know. This story is really interesting and I'm really fucking digging it. And also, if you take away anything from this, I guess what we're really trying to say is whether it's a religion or fuck mustard, don't let your dreams be dreams. Because they dreams die. They all mean something, and if you know, if you're a producer at Shark Tank or Mark Cuban, because again, Mark Cuban, I know hey, you listen. Come talk to us about the fuck mustard. Come on, get us on the show. Again, I'm not asking you for your money here. I'm saying give us the opportunity, and we will fucking crush it. Yeah, um, and then version two, booty relish. Ooh, you. <laughs> I grossed myself out with that one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh, and you thought eating ass was good before. Booty relish. <laughs> we brined it. <laughs> booty relish. Relish the booty. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. We're monsters. What have we created? <laughs> uh, something terrible that somebody's going to get really into in their 20s when they start doing drugs, apparently. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're like, I found this podcast, cult podcast, and now I have to make mustard for my dick. And then we're sitting here like, no, 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 the mustard dick's not real. I wasn't serious no, yeah, about any of it. The mustard dick is within you. Like yeah. You have to find your own metaphorical spiritual mustard dick. Yeah. Oh, my God. Hey, thank you so much for listening to us uh, do this, because I appreciate every one of you for listening. Um, if you want to find me, I'm very easy to locate uh, at Mondo Does Stuff, M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff, all one word. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, uh, all that fun stuff. Um, and if you are in Colorado, if you are in, uh, I believe Denver, Fort Collins or, uh, Colorado Springs, um, never mind. looking at a calendar now and realizing that this episode came out the week after (laughs) (laughs) never mind Colorado. If you didn't see me get fucked, (laughs) but if you're in Austin, Texas, Uh, I will be doing a headlining show at the Fallout Theater on January 27th. I'm trying to get situated on tickets now. Uh, More information will definitely be available on my Instagram. Go ahead and check that out now. You're going to... You're going to love it. It's going to be a great time. There's going to be a lot of RT people there. Um, Check it out. I love you. Thank you. Good night. Good luck. And goodbye forever. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Paige. Uh, This will come out in time for you to potentially go to the Web3 is a Joke roast on January 26th in San Francisco, California. Uh, I will be there staying at my parents' house uh, and telling jokes about cryptocurrency. And it's going to be a good time for all of us. So 
Uh, if you're around, check my Instagram. That's where all the information for shows and upcoming shows will be. Uh, and you can find that at page or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok, uh, and at Page Wesley on Twitter. You can also listen to my voice on Horror Virgin or Romancing the Pod or our upcoming Fuck Mustard podcast, mm-hmm. where we talk about all things fuck mustard. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you so much, but not enough to use. A fuck mustard packet if it's my last one on you. Okay, I love you so much. Bye. No worries. I've got a lot of booty relish left over. <laughs> they, they are not selling well, Paige. We shouldn't have made it green. <laughs> uh, you know what is selling surprisingly well right now is the mayonnaise, but it's mayo <laughs> mayonnaise is how it's spelled. Um, and it's white cream for the butt. Anyway, hey, if you want to listen to more of this from me, uh, you can listen to the Rooster Teeth podcast, RTP for short. You can go to thertpodcast.com or you can find the podcast on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. All that fun stuff. Um, and hey, if you want to find our show, this show that you're listening to, Cult Podcast on Instagram, we're there at Cult Podcast. Or at Cult Podcast Show on Twitter. Or you can send us an email to cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or if you have packets of lube that you want to donate to our testing for fuck mustard, mm. you could send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237, like The Shining. The Shining. Also, if you make your own mustard at home, you could send us jars of that. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> like the shining los angeles california 90065 i'm sorry hold on wait a second what did you just say if you make your own mustard like i made marmalade like if you make mustard you could send that to us if you make your own fuck mustard you're no, asking just regular mustard. just regular mustard you could send us lube or regular mustard <laughs> the fuck mustard is our thing and you need to not do our thing copyright tm fun fuck mustard I'm filling out the copyright paperwork right now as that, we speak. I am actually very literally on GoDaddy.com trying to see how yes. much fuckmustard.com is, and the site is no longer working, and I think it's because I put fuck in the domain. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, my God. Hey, if you... um, if, if you, Oh! Fuckmustard.org, $10. <laughs> Wait, was .com not available? Or I, is dot- Wait. I don't think they'll let us do fuckmustard.com. Will they let us do fuckmustard.lube? Oh, maybe. You can get fuckub for .com for $3,000. Fuckmustard.biz. Fuckmustard.biz, $12. Fuckmustard.dog. Fuckmustard.fun, $2. (laughs) Yes, yes. Fuckmustard.fun. Fuckmustard.fun. Fun is really good. <laughs> oh shit! Fuckwaffles.com, five thousand dollars. Well, it's not about the waffles; it's about the mustard. Yeah, I think this thing is. Oh, mustardgas.com, four thousand dollars. No, <laughs> no. Oh, and finally, anyway. for five dollars, we have fuckmustard.work. Okay, thanks everybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, don't drink mustard. <laughs> Please do not Chris. drink the booty relish. Please <laughs> never, do not- never drink the booty relish. It's so bad for you. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. <laughs>